What's up, everybody? Good afternoon. It is 2.52, February 25th. This is Just Talking Sports, episode 11. My name is Marcus Modi. We are stationed at WAPX-FM Clarksville's 91.9, as you see right there. But also, you can check us out on YouTube at APSU-TV. My name is Marcus Modi. I got my partner to my left, Gabe Jones, Patton Cook to my right. We're going to start off with Austin P basketball because both teams, the women and the men, split their road games this past week beating SIUE but losing to EIU, Eastern Illinois. And both of those games, we're going to talk more about Eastern Illinois because both of those games was close. Men's went into overtime. The girls lost by one point. And it was a, a very questionable ending for me personally on both sides, especially for that women's game. I'm going to let y'all take it away because I got a, a very interesting stat to bring up about that game. Well, this is kind of a few times this season to where the uh, the women's team has had a chance to to kind of pull away or to close out games, and specifically in that Belmont game at home, they had a chance to close it out. They had the lead, had a big Brianna Furby made shot, but just couldn't get that key stop. And that's been the big thing that I've uh, I'm sure Gabe as well uh, calling a lot of the the women's game execution down the stretch hasn't been kind of where you want it to be for a team who could possibly challenge for the OVC, but because the talent, I think, is there. Uh, the talent, no question, is one of the better teams the governors have had um, really in my time here at Austin P. but the execution hasn't been where it's been in the past years. They haven't had those key players where, where they've needed a stop. Keisha Gregory was always that person who would kind of put it upon herself to get that key stop, that key rebound. Here, I think Ariel Gonzalez-Vaughner is that player. She just hasn't really lived up to that expectation in her final year here at Austin P, but still got a couple more games down the stretch to kind of prove that. I agree. Um, this team is a team that runs deep, and as I said last week, they just have, uh, I guess, a pecking order issue. At times it seems sometimes you need a go-to player, and recently in the last two games has been one of the Furby t- twins more often, Brandy Furby. In the first half of this game, it was Brianna Furby, and then Brandy kicked it up along. So this this team just has issues guarding people in the half court. The half court defense is not great as they are, I believe, dead last yeah. in opponent field goal percentage. Um, so whenever you're having issues scoring the ball, of course, and whenever – you know, the other team is scoring at will on the other side. It's not a recipe for goodness. It's not a recipe for winning. Uh, Ariel Gonzalez-Varner, one thing she has struggled with throughout this season is foul trouble. It's a lot of times where the governors need her down the stretch and you can't put her out on the floor because she has four fouls. She has that fifth one and she gets put out the game with two minutes left in the ball game. So when you're leading scorer, it's out of the the contest. You got to look, got to find for somebody else. And it's putting a lot of – sometimes in these few games against somebody like Bill Munt, it's a lot of pressure on the young ladies there trying to have these freshmen come in and be like, yo, we need a bucket. Can you give it to us? Can you give it to us? Yeah, and a lot of the times so – well, maybe not a lot, but there's been a few occasions where Gonzalez Vonner hasn't started, hasn't mm-hmm. started the game. She's come off the bench. And to me, I think that is Coach Midlick trying to – a lot of fight, a fire under her to kind of get her spirits back up, to kind of challenge her to to be better. And a lot of times, I think she's done that, but just kind of had those ticky tack fouls to where she's trying to force something, whether she's made a, a mistake on the other end, is trying to make up for it. But just 
hasn't been able to do that, but a player that maybe this season hasn't gone her way in the entirety is Brandy Furby, but right now in conference play, I think she's playing as good as anyone on this governor's team, and you'd have to think where would this team be without her because right now the governors are in seventh, got two more games to play, but you're going to have to execute. But she's been the real bright spot of this season that she's kind of coming come out of the, the darkness, shall we say, because just confidence levels for her wasn't the greatest in non-conference play. In this EIU game, Austin P forced the Panthers to 30 turnovers. And if you was coming into this game and you would have told me that Austin P was going to force EIU to 30 turnovers, I'm thinking in my head, oh, Austin P's going to win by 10. Austin P's going to win by 12. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, Patton might have a little rant later on in the in the show about it, but in that game there against EIU, the refs controlled that game the whole time. There, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that the refs controlled that game. 50 fouls in four quarters. Both teams combined for 48 free throws. At least they were calling on both sides. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, both, it, it not, was it, 25 apiece. It not, was, correct. Nuts. That, but for a, for a team like Austin P that just naturally will struggle in the half court when you've got the shooters outside, you'd like to get them out in space. It really hinders them because if you're out in the open transition and you just get a, a ticky-tack foul that doesn't need to be there, it just kind of halts the, the flow of, of a game that naturally fans and neutral fans want to see. Uh, the last thing I want to see is to have a, a free throw shooting contest, and we're starting to see more and more in today's game just with the more softer fouls being given. I agree, and as well as it takes the fire out of the players at times. Uh, Austin P loves to come out. Well, usually they don't start the game in a full court press, but they love to surprise teams with it, if you can call it a surprise. <laughs> um, but you can't do that. You can't jump at those passes. You can't go for those steals if the refs are blowing it every time there's any type of contact. With the slightest contact, it seemed like in that game, a little bump. <clears throat> Sometimes if you are a referee, sometimes you got to just swallow the swallow the whistle. Just plain and simple. You can't just call. for the sake of the flow of the game. Because a lot of, as you just stated, that's a great point, Patton, saying that you get out of the rhythm. If you're a shooter, like a lot of the governors are, when you want to get three shots in a row, you want to get some shots up quickly and early on so you can get into the flow of the game. But each and every time you come down the floor, you hear that whistle. You go on defense, you hear the whistle. Mm. You come back on offense again, you hear the whistle. It's not fun. It's not fun. And it, it slows it, it just slowly deteriorates yourself and your mindset sometimes because you're on a stop thinking about, okay, we're about to run this play, we're about to do this, instead of just letting the game come to you, knowing where your shots is gonna come from and when. Refs sometimes you can't sometimes coaches will tell you. The refs can dictate a game as well. So in this instance, for the governors, you had to fight. You was on the road, so you had to fight the opponents. There was EIU. You had to fight the refs, and also you had the fans uh, yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, East for Eastern Illinois cheering on their team. So you had to fight three battles in one game, and you um you just barely so close squeaked out a victory. But that last that last call. They gave, I yeah. believe it was to Wall, Abby Wall. That wasn't a foul. It w- it wasn't a foul off that offensive rebound. 
No, and it it wasn't. And another thing I'd like to get your guys' perspective on is the amount of threes Austin P throws up there. Uh, in this game alone, they shot 37 of them, and they only made 11, although 11 is, is, a, is a great number. But to me, at some point, you're better off maybe passing up some of these three-pointers because you're going empty-handed on so many possessions to where you're trying to have to make up for it on the defensive end, kind of where you struggle already. So I don't know what you guys think, but I would – maybe switch up the play because the three-pointers, although they have been going in, you're shooting them at a at an extremely high just uh, rate in terms of numbers. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, my question is where else would you get your offense? Um, we have seen the team struggle making some layups. Uh, they've struggled yeah. to score in the paint. Um, we've definitely seen the team struggle to score outside the paint as far as like mid-range jumpers, though I have seen – pretty much every player being able to hit like a 15-foot elbow jumper if they could get some more offense around that area. But otherwise, where else will you get your offense? The art of the mid-range is slowly, dying. Is dying yeah. is, and it's not dying at a slow rate. It's dying at a very quick rate. Yeah. Because it just like today in today's game in the NBA, even for guys, a lot of threes are going to be jacked up. It's either going to be threes or layups or dunks. Mm-hmm. And for the ladies, it's going to be a, either a layup post up or a three-point shot because the spacing sometimes if they shrink the floor you can't really attack the basket like you want to so you might have to settle for those threes and and another thing kind of looking at some of these games I think the reason they're having to shoot so many is basically the defense is in a zone the entire game and they don't really let Austin Mm -hmm. P get in the middle of the zone and and get down low so they're kind of being forced to to throw up these three-pointers but if they're going to really want to make some noise uh, in the OVC tournament, they're going to have to find a way to get teams out of the zone because right now it's it's been a real struggle for most of the OVC play. And for the, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say the best way to get a, get a team out of the zone is to shoot them out of the zone. If you're not making your shots, then good luck. Yeah. You live or die by the three. That's that's what the governors have been. <laughs> that's been the motto for their season. It's been a hit or miss. But moving on to the guys' side, they lost in the overtime. 83 to 80 was the score against a really good EIU team. Jordan Adams had 31 points. He's going looks like he's going to be freshman of the year. Terry had another double double. Terry Taylor did 26 points and 16 boards. EIU is a team you have to watch out for. Just plain and simple, they're sitting at that fourth spot. But if I'm any team in the OBC, I don't want to play them. Just plain and simple. No, and they got a couple guys that. Austin P would love to have specifically their point guard. I, he can get in the lane almost any times he wants. But in this game, you kind of had Jordan Adams and Terry Taylor at their very best, and they still lost, which was something I don't think anyone kind of expected to see. A lot of the times in their losses, one or two of them, if not both of them, have kind of struggled. But in this game, you can't really look at either Terry or Jordan. But the one thing you can talk about is Jordan had a lot of good looks at the end of that game to, mm-hmm. to get into the lead, but just couldn't do it. And Terry even had one kind of rattle in and out, um, maybe forced it up a little. I think he had, uh, I think he thought he had less time than he actually did, but kind of a crazy thing to think that those two guys went up for uh, 50 points and it still didn't matter at the end of the day. Interesting enough to me as um, the team, as the game went into overtime, Jordan didn't put up a shot. Well, he went got to the line, but he didn't have any field goals. Why is that? Why would Coach figure 
not, you know, find the hot hand but instead of giving shots Adams, to Butler. And he was I, just, you know. Adams was very really aggressive and he wasn't settling. Yeah. I, I one thing I noticed in that overtime, he was he was trying to get to the basket. He was mm-hmm. trying to get to the basket. That's one thing I like about it. But also that we just stated the mid range shot somewhat is a lost art. Sometimes mm-hmm. whenever you see Jordan Adams pulling up for a mid range, it's a step back. It's not a stop and pop. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times in that overtime specifically, he was trying to get to the cup. So a lot of people, what was they doing? Reaching, smacking down. Those fouls was happening. It was a lot of good looks in that overtime. Seemed like the basketball guys was in an Austin yeah. P favor just then in that overtime. And EIU squeaked out another victory. And a lot of those shots were just going in and out. And in another day, those are going in. And you just kind of have to live with, with that outcome because at the end of the day, those shots will end up falling. But Another worry is kind of the that third player that all season we've kind of been talking about. Who would that end up being? Evan Henson was the next highest scorer with seven. I don't think I watching the game. I don't think Terry or Jordan necessarily were quote unquote ball hogging. They were just taking the shots given. I think they did what they could to try mm-hmm. and get the other guys involved. The, sh- the shots weren't going down, so that's another thing we'll have to see. Uh, Abaya ended up fa- fouling out, so he's going to have to kind of work on that and kind of see. If he can stay in the game longer because rebounding, he offers a, a, a real threat. And also, he's he's a really good threat on the offensive end as well because a lot of times, I know I've talked about it on, on the ESPN Plus broadcast for the men's games, it's a lot of attention on Jordan and Terry. Yeah. And Abayev sometimes be sitting there all alone right underneath the basket. Or he, can ha- he has the post-up game as well because a lot of attention is not looking towards him. You got He just has to be aggressive early on. But also, once he get in that rhythm and being aggressive, he got to make the easy ones. That's sometimes what happens even on the women's side for Austin P. It'd be a lot of easy ones that just miss point blank that they have to capitalize on if they want to win. Because EIU, they was on thir- down 13 in the second half, came back and won. Against Murray, they was down 26 in the second half. So EIU is a second-half team. You can't just take your foot off the gas pedal if you are going against the, this Panthers team, Josiah Wallace, who is now the current player of the week, had 22 against Austin P. They can hit clutch jumpers. I think he was talking about Max Smith, the uh, point guard yeah. for uh, Eastern Illinois. They they got some shooters, and they got guys that can, that's going to create. EIU is a really a really good team, and for Austin P., you got this game on Saturday just means everything now because they – Play here at home against Moorhead State on Thursday. Saturday, you got to go on the road. You're going against Murray. And for basically this is for the OVC regular season title and for a first or second seed. And and two things for uh, first in that Eastern Illinois game. I thought a lot of times this season whenever Austin P has kept it close in that second half, they've kind of pulled away in the last two to three minutes, but – Give credit to EIU because they went blow for blow with Austin P. Every time Terry or Jordan hit a big shot, they came right back down the floor and attacked and, and, and got the points to go. But really, I think Austin P. they had a chance to really put some cushion between Murray State and also Belmont that now is kind of tied back up with them. But now they've got to do the hard hard work. They're going to have to go on the road and, and it, get it done. It's a three-way tie now for first place. you got to win against EIU just Saturday. You got that one game yeah. cushion, so where even if you lost against Murray, you still, still tied with you're them. still tied, still had a, a piece of the share. But now, this is all the marbles now. And then 
you're going against your biggest rival, barely squeaked out a victory here at home. It's not going to be easy at Murray at all. Nope. And now also, because Belmont is another team, they already got they already beat their best play. The they already beat both teams. Mm-hmm. Belmont Belmont has beat Murray and Austin P. So they split those games. So now they don't have to worry about right. saying we can get if we just went out, we automatically get the top two seed. And that's a team that where they started slow, they've kind of finished off as hot as anyone in the conference, and that's exactly uh, what Casey Alexander would want out of his team. He's he's seeing where where their flaws are, but but he's starting to see where this team is going to be trouble for any team uh, if they can make it into the big dance. I, no one wants to play a Belmont. And whenever you have a guard like Murphy, that dude is amazing. Yep. He's a fantastic player. He can do it all, and he's a great rebounder at guard. One of the best rebounders. He is actually the leading rebounder in the NCAA for guards. Right. For guards. Mm-hmm. For guards. It's eight. Yeah, eight, it's like eight, eight rebounds. rebounds a game. Because I know when we when he had it here, it was like almost nine rebounds. Mm-hmm. So he's still right there. It's Belmont is a team you got to watch out for. EIU is another team you got to watch out for. So this year, it might like last year. It was, a lot of people said it was pretty deep. This year, the top four teams yeah. have has been. It was literally been a game difference for the top four teams. So the top four teams most likely will see each other in the semifinals. Well, the quarterfinals, excuse me, and it's up for grabs once you get into Evansville. And and you'll want to watch pretty much every day of the OVC tournament because a lot of times, at least for me, I kind of tuned in towards the end of it where you had Austin P and Murray squaring off. But you, you're going to want to watch the whole thing because teams in this conference, it's pretty uh, pretty close together. So you're going to see some, even though they're lower seeds, you can easily see an upset because it's just been so close all season. But – Austin P, they control their destiny. So that's you went out, you get a piece of the share. If you're up for the women's side, you went out, you stay in the top eight. You're going on to Evansville. If you lose these last two games, it can get very questionable. If you're Austin P for the men's side, if you lose the last game against Murray, you're still going to get in. You only get a single bye week, not a double uh, bye week. But you want all the marbles are there for Austin P. You just got to win out, just plain and simple. And and if you would have told Matt Figure that at the beginning of the season, you've got a chance to lock up the OVC if you can uh, if you win at Murray. I think you'd take your hand off for that because all all you want is a shot at the end of the day, and Austin P. has that shot along with uh, two other schools as well. So let's go ahead and move on. We're gonna go to the NBA. I'm gonna let Patton take it away because this is his team mm-hmm. we're about to talk yeah. about because it's a lot of turmoil with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Go ahead and take it away, Patton. Yeah, so we'll start off with some with some hardship because naturally as a Cavs fan that, that that's what it is these it's days. It's always been the, like that since uh Yeah, the, the, the the good years are gone, I'm afraid. I, I don't <laughs> I don't see LeBron walking through that door unless Bronny. Uh shout out to Bronny. He 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 can come uh over to Cleveland but the hardship is now, and unfortunately, uh, another coaching change, another kind of disaster um, that I've watched unfold, and that this time is with John Beeline. And at this hire at the beginning of the season, I liked it because just on paper you're looking at, this is a guy who's kind of grown talent at, at Michigan, not the highest rated, and uh, he kind of developed guys, and that's exactly what, what the Cavs want right now. They want Colin Sexton, they want Darius Garland, they want Kevin Porter Jr. to kind of be elevated to their highest potential and 
to an extent, I guess you could say that because Colin Sexton this season has been uh, a lot better than what he was last season, and just in terms of playmaking, has done better on the assist end. But it all it all started with the thug comment, <laughs> uh, the the infamous thug comment that when it broke, I was just in awe of what in the world is going on for the laughing. Cleveland Cavaliers. I was laughing the whole time because I knew he messed up big time. And that was a big time mistake. And and two things uh, on that. If you kind of watch the Cavs, as I do uh, pretty much every single game, shout Unfortunately. out. Unfortunately. Well, I, I watched him beat the uh, Miami Heat last last night, Darius Garland. Shout out to him. Uh, <laughs> great game. But if you watch them early in the season, you kind of you could kind of see where he was come on, coming from with the slugs. Uh, he thought he was trying to say slugs, or so he says. At least that made sense to me because defensively, it's just a slow-moving process. They don't – they're not – thinking very well out there, communicating between each other. They're playing like slugs. Uh, let, let me get that out, uh, out of the way. I don't, I don't need a John Beeline situation here. But that and also John Beeline just naturally, he's an older guy, so he's going to naturally slur his words. If you watch his press conferences, he slurs words all the time. Just unfortunately for him, the players, I don't think that ever really got uh, beyond them, although they – they they said the right things in press conferences that, oh, that no. they they put it behind them, but in the in the report we come out from the athletic, Marcus, uh, it was far from that. They they start every song they were saying coming in practice, blasting songs that had thugs in it, and it it, it didn't matter. And every, I was, it was a lot thugs and thugs and mansion. Uh, was it Bones and Harmony? They was uh, playing Bone Thugs and Harmony. He was playing Bone Thugs. As a matter of fact, I think Bone Thugs is from there. Yeah, and. My, my my only thing with that, I would like to know their intentions on that. If they're just if they're trying to have a laugh with Coach Beeline and no, kind of laugh and no laugh, laugh, I'm I'm okay. But I think it might have been personally. But if it's a just a, a negative kind of type thing, I'm I'm not big into that. Especially with how the players have played this season, they're in they're in no way to kind of fault from blame every single one of them. And then <laughs> the kind of final part is I think for. They're saying it is as a resignation, and I somewhat agree with that because I don't think they would have fired him through the All-Star break. What's the point? No. Um, because you're doing that, you're giving John Beeline a ton of money. But right now, from what it looks like, John Beeline is the one who kind of made this decision that at the end of the day, John Beeline hasn't lost a lot of games in, in his coaching career. I, I think he probably has lost more this season than he has in the past four seasons combined for Michigan. So it's been a tough process, and for a guy at that age – you got to worry about his health, and he said as much. Uh, this is kind of starting to affect his his life personally and uh, emotionally as well. I think for Balin, it was it wasn't worth it. No, it wasn't worth it. I know Andre Drummond said he had a better situation in Detroit yeah. than it was in Cleveland, and that th- the difference with that is like what maybe four wins. That's a difference from Detroit right. to Cleveland. It wasn't it wasn't a good sign at all. It was a lot of stuff that shouldn't really happen. But, but, but I've also, I got a question. Was it four years? That he, he was on contract for five. Four, five? Uh, five years was oh. the plan. So I, I've seen a lot of things discussing whether this was the right hire. To me, I thought it was just it was just fine because of the the what the direction the Cavs were going in. It was never going to be a quick fix. It was going to be a process, but unfortunately that process um, hit a screeching halt, unfortunately. But Cavs won last night, so we can talk about that uh, um, later on down the road. Because I I, 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 I will why. have to shout out Cavs wins because there's only going to be a handful of them left in the season. Miami was really tripping on losing against the Cavs on 
I mean, when you've got- also, also, I want to bring up something because my good friend here, he's been talking to me and Gabe in this group chat about Tristan Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> and, they laughed at me. And Chloe, I, baby daddy. I, I, I mean, he's a yes. <laughs> he sure is. Uh, credit to Tristan Thompson for that. But he's been hyping up Tristan Thompson these past few games. I'm gonna hype up somebody else on that. Larry Nance at the small forward. They need to go ahead and that's that's been the best lineup for it. Larry Nance, yep. Drummond, and Tristan Thompson. That, that should that should be their best lineup. I I think it'd be it's something you won't see. That's probably gonna be the biggest lineup in the NBA. Uh, Larry Nance at the three, who is naturally gonna be a power forward, and then Tristan Thompson and Andre Drummond are basically centers. And one thing Tristan gives is defensively he can. I'm sure we've all, at least I've watched a clip, him guarding Steph Curry, just locking him down for, I've watched it in, into eternity. No. Oh my he, he can stay with point guards, which not a lot of power forwards wait, can do. Wait, I have to bring this up as well, because he has said it on, on the ESPN broadcast uh, that Matthew Delvadova sure locked did, up yes. Steph Curry yep. on the ESPN broadcast when Steph Curry averaged 26 on, what is it, 45% shooting. Yeah, but that was afterward. After <laughs> after uh, Matthew Delavadova had to go to the hospital, he gave his he, he he gave his life. He gave his life for for the Cavs. He had to get yeah, an but. IV. Yeah, but it's Joe right behind us saying yeah, but but it was still twenty six on forty five percent. No, you you, you just it was got, one bad game. You got to look at uh, game one, two, and three. I thought he did as good as anyone has ever done against Steph Curry. And unless Steph is just missing open shots, you guys can look at the highlights. I know what I'm saying. Just got a lot of haters here. Hey. You, you know what? You know what? Let's just go ahead and go past. What, what and, you got to say? And before we do go past, I'm on Patton's side. Thank First you. three Thank games, you. Clampers. <laughs> Clampers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let's just move on and just go to the NFL because the draft combine is starting up this week. Yep. And I know he's he's still somewhat happy over here, Patton, because he got a few guys uh, from his team that's in the draft combine. On Thursday, it starts off with the quarterbacks, receivers, and tight ends. So, Patton, I was going to ask you, who are the guys you're looking out for on this Thursday as they're going through their events? Yeah, I'll give you um – I'll give you one from the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end because those are really the main guys you're looking at. Defensive end, it's kind of the only guy you're looking at is really Chase, Chase Young, Young and then the Moss. safety for um, uh, LSU as well. So for quarterback, I'm looking at what um, the Oklahoma quarterback can do. Uh, I'd like to see how he performs in the throwing. Uh, Jalen Hurts, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't uh, – that's one – because I'm a Sooner fan. I'm a diehard Sooner fan. And Jalen Hurt, hopefully he does really well because this combine could really expose yeah. him and it could really hurt him. Because right now, I think they might have him as a third-round third round pick. And, and, and I think it could also help him just because I think he'll knock it out of the park in those interviews. The the whole Alabama See, situation. That's the thing. The interviews, oh, he's going to knock yeah. that out. He's, that's 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 light word. See, we ain't talking about the interviews. Right. We're talking about what you're gonna do on the field. That's what the scouts gonna be looking at. And and I'm also interested to see kind of what he does. Will he run the forty? A lot of these quarterbacks don't run the forty anymore. You didn't see Lamar Jackson run it. I'd be interested to see if he ends up running it. So that's gonna be my quarterback. And then my running back I'm looking forward to is gonna be Keyshawn uh, Keyshawn Vaughn for Vanderbilt, a guy who. <laughs> 
I think he had one of the better seasons in the SEC, not last year because just what a, a sham that offense ended up being. But and two years ago, I, in that bowl game specifically against uh, Baylor, but of course Baylor had a great season this year, had one of the better games in the bowl game, had over 200 yards rushing and just it's kind of video game type stats for Keyshawn. So a big thing for him is kind of where his 40 is going to be at and kind of and also kind of proving to the scouts that last year wasn't what they can look forward to in the NFL, just kind of a guy who's not going to be able to break out in the open field. So I think this uh, combine, specifically the 40, a lot of the times with these backs is going to be big. Wide receiver-wise, I'm looking at Justin Jefferson for LSU because I think Judy and Lamb are going to be the two guys. And then that third receiver is really up for grabs between Higgins and also Ruggs as well. So Justin Jefferson for LSU is a guy I'm looking at. Hold on at. now, hold on now. You're forgetting about one main guy. I'm gonna have to step in because I got. I'm, we gonna talk about it. That's C.D. Lamb. I, I, I said Lamb. I said Judy and Lamb are the are the two okay, the top two say, in the wide receivers, and then that third for me is really up for grabs. I think Justin Jefferson might be number three for my quarterback. It's gonna be Justin Hubert because he ha, he is the he seemed like a NFL prospect yep. that could be one of the he could be the potential. I'll say the potential could be like a Andrew Luck style quarterback but he's really 66 the frame that he has could be for it could work out for him the measurables uh the, they're going to love him and and those 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 hand measuring contests that I mean they absolutely love Justin Herbert he's got over uh 10 10 inch hands so they they absolutely love him in that department I don't know why we measure those stats but just in terms of measurables, I think Justin Herbert just running as well. It's a it's an athletic kid who can do a lot of things. For my running back, because you know of DeAndre Swift from Georgia, you know he's going to be the number one. Yep. Then you got Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin, who's number who's going to be really number two running back. I got Zach Moss from Utah, because Utah was a team that was really running the football exceptionally well throughout the season until they faced Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. And Moss was a really good reason on why he was dominating. That's somebody I want to see in the NFL with an NFL team that could be a potential sleeper because not a lot of people, he might be second rounder because it's it's a really top-heavy draft. This first round is going to be a lot of quarterbacks, receivers, and really defensive players yeah. in secondary. So you can see him sneaking off into the second round. And there's a few guys for Utah that's going to be kind of a bit of a hidden gem, naturally, because a lot of America doesn't watch Utah just exactly. in terms of lateness. Their games start at 9, 10 o'clock. Uh, Nobody's really trying to watch Pac-12 games. Right, just. right. And then for my tight end, I mean, just might be just off of hype a little bit, but it's, I'm going to go with Thaddeus Moss from LSU, who is the son for, of Randy Moss. He has the, the frame. Got the a, genetics. That's he for had, sure. He has the frame. He's a receiving tight end at that. I heard, I saw a comparison of him being a bigger Jordan Reed. I kind of like that comparison a little bit, but I think he can be a dominant tight end because he also it's not just where some tight ends in this in the class a lot of NFL combines you look and be like, oh yeah, he's definitely a running tight end. Oh yeah, he's definitely a receiving tight end. You got a combination of both can go hand to hand, just like. George Kittle from the 49ers, yep. well, who can really block really well but also can receive exceptionally well and run after the catch. That's, that's that's a plus from the tight end spot. 
And then, like I said, my receiver, I got to be a little bit biased and go with C.D. Lamb because that man is just dominating the route running for a C.D. Lamb. Uh, Corners, both. get ready. Him, him and Jerry Judy, I think those two guys right there, if you're in need of a, of a receiver, you can still wait to take one at the end of the first and second, and you're going to get one heck of a guy who can go in day one. And, and a lot of these guys are from programs. It's in pro-style offenses. They're not in these kind of wide-open throws to where they're just making a catch and running 80 yards. There's guys in front that they got to do, and uh, I've really been impressed with the uh, wide receiver group in this combine, and I'm going to take a, a special look on that in terms of the numbers these next couple days. Patriots front office, Bill Belichick, yeah. Robert Kraft. <laughs> you know a lot about that. I know you guys are listening. Get on it. Give my boy some weapons. Bring my boy back. Give my boy some weapons. He's talk, He's talking about his boys and Tom Brady. He needs, he's going to need some receivers. We definitely will. But they might not be having a first round if the NFL did their little <laughs> punishments on the little tapes that don't, they Don't have. worry. We'll figure it out. We always find a way. We always find a way. TB12 might be here uh, by the time we do our next podcast. Who knows? <laughs> TB12. We'll see. I'm excited. Um, I I saw a report that said uh, he would be, or his first option, if his first option right now is uh, the Titans, which I don't know how credible that source is, but if no Patriots, I'm cool with the Titans. I'll go see him. I'm not buying the jersey, but I got a couple Patriots jerseys. I think think it makes a whole lot of sense (laughs) just in terms of the system. He'll have a lot of control on that offense, and he knows a lot of people in the organization. Got Deion Lewis. Got Mike Vrabel oh, there. Yeah. They take got all Ma- our players. You got Malcolm Butler there. Oh, Malcolm yeah. Butler is one of the better friends of Tom Brady. I know Joe hates it. I love it. Um, <laughs> no. He's going to win us a Super Bowl. No, because that offensive line, he's going to hate. That is what I'm worried going, about. He's going to hate that offensive line. Pardon. I don't think he will. Um, How? You, you, towards so, towards so, the end of that. So wait, my, this is going to be my question. So that offensive line is just going to change from, from, from this past season to this season with a new quarterback. Is that what you're telling me? They're going to just have all their faith? I, I, I would ask, how did Derrick Henry get all those yards? That's because they're a running offensive line. They're yeah. not a passing I offensive know. line. I know. Keep your defense honest. That's one thing that if you have a, a guy like Tom Brady, they're not going to be able to just stack the box all the time, and that gives Derrick Henry easier running rooms. We're not going to ask Tom Brady to throw it 30, 40 times a game like – my friend over here, Gabriel Jones, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to throw the ball with the Patriots. I think it makes a lot of sense for Tom to come down here. Uh, no state income tax. He knows a lot of people in in the organization, and I think the Titans offer him the best chance for a ring because I see the Patriots' um, window closing. Our window's never closing. I will resent that comment, but the yes, Bills are going to win the division. Give out it of two your mind years. once again, uh, but yes, if the if Tom Brady chooses to leave our beloved organization, don't, don't tell me you. I'm out of my mind. It was only a one game away from winning the division not last season. <clears throat> we'll see. Once again, we still top dogs. We run this, but we're gonna send it to a quick break because we got a special guest that's gonna hop on the show and give his energy yep. and his flairness. On the show. <laughs> uh, so we're going to send it to a quick break. We'll be right back with more Just Talking Sports. Welcome back, guys. This is Just Talking Sports episode 11. As we got our, our, our special guest who always are, who was always behind the scenes, but we got a special chance here to bring him on the mic. Yep. That is Joe Palmer, our producer and technical director. He is right here on the mic. 
Joe, how are you feeling today? I know that energy, you wait, waiting to talk about Ooh, this. Oh, man, I can't wait. <laughs> Let's get into it. All right, so because first off, we're going to stay with the NFL and talk about this new new deal they're trying to bring up because the NFL wants to add an extra playoff game and also add a 17th game in the regular season. And also, it's going to be like a little increase for the players uh, wages is going to increase just about a point, one point yeah, two, I, I believe. A, a percent, it's, like so that. it's like forty-seven percent to forty-eight. And I want to get you guys' take on it because it's really been wishy-washy for me on really whose side I really want to be on. Well, I'm not. First of all, I'm not going to be on the side of the, of the NFL because my problem with the NFL on this on this is if they make the decision to add extra games at whatever point that they're going to give as a bonus to the players, the players can't say, well, we don't accept that. That's it. So we're going to strike. And if they end up striking, the NFL could just call it off and say, well, guess what? We're not losing money anyway. We're still going to make money for those uh, the license fees and, and the sponsorships and whatnot. They're still going to make all that money, so they're not losing anything. So my biggest issue for that is that say you got you got guys that aren't the first or second cho- uh, choice to be on the field. If you got guys a third string or, or somebody who's fresh out of recruitment, you know, straight from the pack to where they've never I don't know about y'all, but I've never made a six figure anything. Yeah. So if I get my second we, package, we are we are broke college students uh, as yeah, of right now. Exactly. <laughs> Me too as a grad student. Best believe. So I've never made any kind of six figure nothing except maybe if I play Monopoly and y'all lose. <laughs> uh, so I mean, my point is is that if you go from a college student uh, who's an athlete and they work, they work. I mean, we we work in in um, the business of supporting them and what we do. So uh, my whole point is is that um, if you go from from a college student to a draft pick to whatever, and you start making a six figure fal- salary, even if it's on a low point. And you end up having to lose out because your your organization strikes. That's it. You out because there's one of the guys I don't remember what his name was. I think he's probably for the Bengals. But he said, "Look, and again, I don't know exactly which which uh, team he plays for." But he said, "Look, I, all I do is I play. I'm here to play, and that's what I will be. So that means he will cross the line if it comes down to it where he has to." So I'm saying, uh, as far as like from my from my standpoint, for me being a, a a fan of pretty much a lot of different sports, but one of the biggest things is the reason why I think I think that they definitely need to be need to be careful on where they go with this is that I was a huge uh, baseball fan all the way up until the strike in '94, and once that happened, I sold all my, my memorabilia and I refused. I will not even watch anything at all <laughs> that had to relate to baseball. And I'm talking about I used to love baseball as a little kid, okay, and then when I got to that point to where they struck. And I lost it. I was like, I'm, I'm never going to watch baseball again. So my point to this is also they have to watch their viewership challenges to where they might start seeing a huge drop-off, decrease of their viewership, their fan base, if they do this. Because, again, it's all about that bottom line. Because, again, the biggest thing about the NFL is that they're, they are a corporation and they're about making that money. Mm-hmm. And it could be at the expense of the players, which, again, for me, I want to make sure that the players are thought of first and for the fans and then, and then players. Yeah, and I, I kind of fall somewhere in the middle of it. As a fan, naturally, you're going to love more games, just as me personally. I, I can't get enough. But one thing the NFL does have to be careful of is kind of seeing with the NBA and in the MLB, as Joe was saying, there's so many games to where it kind of doesn't give the reason, why should I tune into this game when I could just tune into next week's game? Because this game doesn't mean a whole lot. But I think the NFL, I, I don't know if they'll necessarily have that problem because 16-17 to 17, 
each game is going to mean so much as it is already. So I think I kind of fall somewhere in the middle uh, in terms of the 17-game season. In terms of the playoff, I'm totally against it because you're going to have teams with the Steelers and Mason Rudolph facing off against uh, a number two seed like the Chiefs, and that's just going to be a blowout. Why, why do I need to see that? And why would a Steelers fan want to be in the big dance only to get – kind of embarrassed on on national right, tv and i'm a steelers fan i'm absolutely against that too so yeah yeah i wouldn't I, w- I didn't understand the the playoff thing at all because even so if you are the number one seed okay you get uh, the only team that has a bye and whatnot everything goes to you a lot of the number one seeds have been into the nfc championship right. or the afc championship so the numbers game. are skewed already so like they, they've already had the advantage yeah. if you're going to put the number two seed and saying that it's not going to be number one versus number two Yes, there's going to be times where there will be a Cinderella moment and the seven seed be the two seed. But how often is that going to happen? Right, like what the Titans did this season is an That's anomaly not, uh, of what is going to happen normally. A 9-7 and seven team is very rarely going to beat a, a, a Patriots team who's over 10 wins and then a Ravens team, I think they won 13, yeah. 12 or 13 games. That That is rarely going to happen. And I kind of looked at a stat, um, what teams would have made the playoffs it's just teams you don't want to watch, uh, and like unless the Titans, right? Well, or the Patriots. It's just teams <laughs> that aren't going to really make it close at all. So I think, in terms of the playoff, I, I have a big problem with it. But in terms of the CBA, as long as they give players an incentive or a reason to want to play an extra game, whether that's uh, medical marijuana use being lifted, uh, whether that's uh, more pay or life insurance forever, because that's something the MLB does, I think. Is or something it could be something where they could be like, all right, well, if you're going to give us another, an opportunity to play more games, how about we have something that's donated to a charity of our choice? I'm not sure a lot of them are going to care about well, I mean, that. I'm but just saying, like, give us, like you're saying, yeah. a different option. What he's, what he's trying to say is like, how the NBA did it for the All-Star game where they saw that, okay, yeah. we're going to do this stuff for Kobe, but also we're going to donate this to these charities for the local charities at that. So where it would be a thing where it's going to give a positive outlook for the NFL and the corporation of the NFL if they're going to do that. Yeah. The it's, NFL, a way to in- it's a way to incentivize the whole reason for, okay, yeah. we are the company saying that this is what we're going to do, but we want to get you guys to pitch in, to buy into it, so we but incentivize also, it. But also I want to bring up, too, the NFL has not had a good look at themselves oh, no. for quite some time. Yeah. It's been a, it's been years. It's been multiple Decades, years. Man. It's been, it's been some years but to where my my point with that is why do they need to? Because they're the most profitable organization in America right and now. Also, each they, they team, don't they don't have to because they're in front of everyone. Like all fair and all fair and good with what the NBA is doing right now. But their numbers aren't a fourth of what the what the NFL makes right now because in terms of just viewership, it's doubled and tripled. Each team is almost a billion dollars. Yeah. Even even the Bengals, who had the worst season, still somehow makes a billion dollars for this this one year. So even if you add, that's also why I'm somewhat against it because even if you add one game, just think on how much revenue that one game will get. Oh, right. Uh, extra team let alone let it be the Ravens the Chiefs who just won the Super Bowl a MVP a former MVP well Well, even come down the line you're already talking about some of the worst of the worst the Bengals all right let's bring up another garbage team the Browns okay and they're still generating revenue so if you want to talk about on the revenue side of it yeah of course NFL is a multi-billion dollar company and what they're doing is working for them on profitability does that mean they need to change it 
absolutely, because they need to. They need to. No, no, hold on a minute. <laughs> I'm saying what my point is is that yes, they need to change it to where it, it, it generates more positivity towards NFL, to where I'm more inclined to watch them because they do things not just for the players but also for the community also, in general. But it makes you more inclined, and it also what it, what what fans are going to do. Oh, it's a good sighting now. Here goes my money. Here goes my money. But my, it, my, it my, also brings more revenue for them as is, well. Is, I, I totally agree. I'd love to see them do some of this stuff, but at this point, all these owners could really care less about how oh, the, yeah. the public looks. Absolutely. They're they're making a lot of money right now. I don't see them any reason for them to kind of change what they're doing because uh, I, I agree uh, in terms of everything you guys are saying, but just in terms, I don't see that ever happening because it's working and oh, it's no. the best oh, right no. now. We're, we're just saying on the potential things that could go in favor because it seemed like America – loves the NBA and what they're doing. And, and that's skewed, uh, just unfortunately enough. That's America. I think it, worldwide it's more of a bigger game. But in terms of the NFL, just in terms of America viewership, it the NBA doesn't touch it. And you kind of see that on Twitter. You kind of see the big things right now on Twitter is the NBA and how great it is. But if you look at the stats, it's nowhere near. And if you go outside of the U.S., are you going to think you're going to watch NBA or NFL or in some place in the U.K. or Latin America or no. wherever? You're not Soccer. going to find it because you're, you're basically going to be in a vacuum without NFL or NBA. So how do they bridge that gap? Again, looking at reaching out positively for the community by changing the way that they, that they approach and adapt to and improvise on how they're able to deliver and convey it to certain communities. But I think aspects. they're doing that right now. You see them go to England, and they're f- selling out Wembley Stadium. 90,000 people are going to those four games a year. And you also have that at Mexico. They play at the Azteca, that, that, Azteca right. and Wait, Mexico City. One thing I want to say on that, they got to fix that field. That field <laughs> yeah. is so awful. It's always it, it's and, always been awful. And you, 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 can't, you can't try to go to Mexico – each and every time, knowing that the field is messed up, the NFL you gotta you gotta go and change it and fix it up, renovate it. If you're gonna go try to play in Mexico, like you're gonna have to do something to it and not expect some change for it and expect Mexico to try to go and change it. You're the ones that's trying to play in the feet in, right. in the it's, stadium. It's and this goes back to things that that's commu- community impactful to where if you were to stay to start actually hiring out to local contractors to renovate that. That provides jobs, it provides income, that provides, you know, actually economy of that particular region during that championship match. Yeah, but I, my whole thing is that Azteca, it's a it's a soccer stadium, and there's they it's it's always been a problem. Every time the USA men's soccer team goes there, it's it's a problem anyway. So I think they've there's been effort to try and fix that field, but just for whatever reason, they go to that stadium because they can get the most people in it, they can get the most revenue, and ultimately that's all they care about, like it or not. Uh, it's just kind of how it is. True that that's it. Just seems like the NFL just that's all they care about that money, that dollar sign. It it that's all that matters to me. And I think also I think that's why the players are somewhat opposing it as well because they just like y'all just want to get more money out of us. Also, that's why they're trying to bump it up to fifty percent as well. So like owners get fifty percent, but. But look at these guys who are making $35 million a year in a contract, okay? If you go from from the guys we just talked about on the lower end of the spectrum that are making six-figure, like, say, the lowest range of a new recruit who's just been drafted mm-hmm. is probably, like, what, 500000 maybe, if he's lucky. But then you go from the other extreme to $35 million, If you're, like, sitting on that kind of stack of cash and whatever, you're not really going to worry about whether or not it moves forward or not. 
So my point is that if you're at the top of the level, you're going to be fine. $35 million, what? You know, that's a lot of money to, at the end of the day. But, I mean, again, it comes back to who's going to win, who's going to lose. As, as far as us as a fan base, great. As far as the, the, the players, not so much. And you know the, the ones who aren't going to use will be the ones who's concerned with their bottom line, which is the, the corporation. One more point before we move on is the scheduling part for me is going to be somewhat weird because eight, 16 to 17 games for the regular season is always been eight and eight home game, eight home games, eight away games. Now, if you try to do, it's going to be where eight home games for one year, nine road games, then you're going to flip it. And then also, for one 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 of those games, one of those weeks, week 17, it's going to be slow games. The, the NFL is terrible at scheduling good games at times. It was multiple weeks this past season where you didn't want to watch any game yeah. because it was a big favorite. So the NFL, it hasn't. they don't really do a great job on scheduling those games. So week 17, it might be. The Patriots versus the Bengals. Who is going to want to watch that? Not me. It, it's going to be games like that where it's going to be a big favorite, and it's not. You might not think uh, us viewers not going to look at it and be like, okay, we're going to watch this game. Some of those games is going to be like, uh, it's throwaways. Just give me those games, and it's going to just give me an extra win. Like, come on, guys. It's got to be. It's going to have to be a lot more thought process with that deal, and. It can it can work out for both sides. Do I think it's going to work out? Really, no. But let's go ahead and move on because this fight that happened this past Saturday, Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury got the the victory after Wilder's court threw in the towel in the seventh round. He was tired, bro. He was tired, man. He was tired. Hey, it, you walking down from the. From the locker room, he got tired. Apparently, okay. that's what the story is. That the story you is. Get the back, yeah, get I, back? I, okay. I'll give him the backstory. So Wilder came out on the report. That was earlier today, I believe. Either it was earlier today or uh, yesterday, yeah. saying that he had this uh, 45, <laughs> 45 pound suit, a uh, little forty co- pound, 40, 45, zero, yeah. 40 pound costume on, trying to. Show uh, Black History Month. That's what he said. The reason was for it, but it was all crystal crown and everything. He said he got tired of it because he only put it on one time before going out to the ring. So he never walked with it on to the ring, and it wore him out. And he was like, "That's why in the third round, people was like, you don't look like yourself." He was like, "That was part of a reason why." I think that's somewhat of a good excuse, just plain and simple to me. Cause and okay, I would like for you to actually defend that statement, sir. I'm not defending. I, I'm saying it's a no. I'm sorry. I'm saying it's a good excuse for him. Oh, okay, it's not okay. a good excuse for the loss. Oh, it's okay. a good excuse for him to try to put blame on it. It's not a good excuse for the loss because you saw what Tyson Fury did. He oh, came yeah. out. He came out with a robe on. He didn't have nothing on on him. He had a crown. Now he had somebody like a moving little cart pushing it to the ring, but he never had on anything yeah. big like that. He it had was that just suit glamorous. Of anger on is what he had, you know, ready but, to win. But mm. I mean, you can't. It, if you want to go out in style, go out in style. We're not stopping you from going out in style. A lot of a lot of boxers do that all the time. We ain't saying stop. Now you trying to you trying to blame that. And say that's the reason. That's a part of the reason why you lost, because you had noodle legs in the third round when we ain't seen that before at all. Like, come on now. I'd have. So we done with the backstory. Oh yeah. Okay. So my whole point on this is like, okay, 
first of all, it's great if, if the reason why you're going to utilize a suit like that is, is to uh, representation of culture. That's great. However, you need to have a practice run with that. Okay, you can't just come out the locker room the first time, the second time you ever wore it, and walk down the stage, walk from from the from the uh, from your locker room all the way to the stage, and then get there and go through the motions of having to take it off, and then get up in the ring and get ready to fight, and then act like everything is normal. Okay, now if you want to say that it might have tired you out, that's cool. But you know what? That's one of those times when you actually have to say something. You need to keep it on the inside, okay? <laughs> Don't come out in the public and try to say that's the reason why I lost because of wearing that suit. You could have just kept that to yourself, man, because I'm going to tell you what. Had he gone against somebody like Fury, okay, with just nothing on but what he's supposed to and be wearing, lost. his It'll uniform, look. then, okay, we're all on equal pairing. But I'm going to also tell you what. This could have been something that his coach could have said because it's always something that the coaches want to say, be like, Yo, my my shoes were too tight. Uh, uh, I drank too much water, or uh, I actually had to cut too much weight, so I lost. Or my 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 uh, gloves were too tight. You're gonna come up with something, but like like I said, I don't think there's any way he should have said that publicly, because it's embarrassing, especially when you get whooped that hard. Yeah, I, I'm 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 not even gonna entertain that statement uh, from Deontay. I mean, it's just stupid. It's it's completely false as well. Um, I think the one thing that made your legs tired. Look at his legs; they're they're about <laughs> as big as a stick. I, I, I don't I don't need this kind of excuse this whole way. But um, I think one thing that definitely affected Deontay, he put on quite a bit of weight for this fight. Mm-hmm. He, he came in heavier than than expected, which which I, is demanding on any athlete. Yeah, it was twenty to twenty five pounds, and 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 he did that because. Tyson Fury said himself he's going to come in bigger than he normally was. Came in at 273, I do believe, and on, on the yeah. night of the fight he was 275. So I think the one thing that maybe affected Deontay in an actual reality, not some false reality where this costume made you lose a match, I think the weight that Deontay put on naturally it was just going to be difficult. But I called this fight uh, early. I texted Gabe and Marcus. I said I like Tyson in this fight just because – Tyson is the better boxer, and I oh, think yeah. we saw that exactly. So that's the thing, like, everybody that was picking Wilder, we wasn't going to say Wilder was going to win. Outpoint him. Yeah. It, it wasn't going to be an outpointing thing. It was going to be about a knockout, yep. as we saw in the first fight where he knocked him down twice. This one, it was the stats and the numbers was so big of a gap. Yeah. There was no way that Wilder was going to win points-wise. Mm-hmm. Like, no possible way. Well, it's also the fact of like, look at how much he probably had to spend on that outfit, the costume, and, hey. and the fact of that the the whole point of our conversation is being deviated from actually talking about a, a, a fight that could have been something to really look at instead of like an over mm-hmm. or like a over or underbalanced match as it is when we could have actually seen a performance between two professional athletes who I think the reason why someone – that is at, at this stature to where they have gone from zero to hero to where they've gone from a nobody training in, in, you know, in, in the background in a crowd where you never know their name to where they actually are able to come up and then say, okay, well, now I have a fight against so-and-so, like an actual a challenger. Uh, you go from that recognition to where you now you have to work harder. And I think right at this point, this, this illustrates the fact that sometimes you just – Stop being uh, aggressive on pursuing your goal. Joe, what do you think about the fight, like the fight itself? Well, as far as like, again, I want to look at, if you want to look at the numbers-wise, I think that you saw the intensity on the right side of 
where it should have been. And the reason why one person lost and one, one person won was because obviously one guy was there to prove a point is that he is going to beat whoever stands in the ring with him. And that's what it comes down to. If you want to be a part of this whole food chain, you always got to be the bigger fish. Yep. You, you Now, you can be a shark, you know, going against another shark, but it's just going to be like I might be smaller or bigger than you, but if, uh, you know, whoever's going to win wins as far as, like, when it comes down to, you know, technique, uh, training, and just it's, it's about heart too, man. And, and I was so impressed with Tyson Fury because in Fury Wilder 1, Fury – basically boxed a perfect fight for 11 rounds until that huge knockdown that I think ultimately just kind of forced the judges to say, yeah. we can't give Deontay Wilder a loss for that shot that ultimately should probably have should have been waved yeah. off anyway. So they give him the draw. So if I was Tyson Fury, I think I would have done the same sort of game plan. But he went with the offensive. He went right to Deontay Wilder and kind of forced him into a comfort zone that not a lot of guys put him under. And I think that's ultimately why Deontay – I don't think he expected that at all. I think he noticed it in the later rounds of the first fight saying that if I get aggressive, he doesn't like being on his back heel. Yep. And one one thing before the fight, I will say before we have to close everything because I know we want to keep going and keep going. But Wilder said he was going to try to go with a new style, trying to come into the fight. He didn't come with no new style. He's just a puncher. That's the thing. Yep. He it's like a, He's almost like a street fighter. He want to put everything into one punch, knock you out, and just go out in fashion. Tyson Fury isn't like that. He's tactical. He gonna outpoint you. Wilder only threw fifty-eight punches. Fury threw one hundred and sixty. The amount of punches that Wilder threw, Fury landed. Wilder only landed eighteen punches. Out of how many total? Out of fifty-eight. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. That means you're how, not really. How can how can you win a fight? And majority of his punches that was landed. Was jabs. Right. How can you win a fight like that? Just plain and simple. It's not possible. And it's those big swinging punches that for a boxer like Fury, he sees him from a mile away, and he's not going to get caught. He did get caught in the 12th round, but those are the punches he's just not going to get caught with. And also the last point is that if you want to if you want to actually like change your strategy, you don't announce that to anybody. You'd be like UFC, George St. Pierre, he does. He always adapts and improvises and overcomes whatever challenges he faces. But he doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, well, I'm in here practicing this because you basically want to be able to keep that mindset of a winner. I just want to say y'all might not like it, but there will be a Tyson Fury versus Wilder 3. He, 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 I want to see that one. Hopefully he changes his style up like he said he was mm-hmm. and, and try to become more tactical. But that is all we have here on this afternoon, 3.52 here on February 25th. Thank you, Joe. We're going to have to bring you back on yep. multiple times. I love that energy. But this is Just Talking Sports, Episode 11, and we are out.